I'm Matt Schrader, and this is a special bonus interview episode. You just heard the start of this season, and uh, all season long, we'll be having bonus conversations with some of the people central to the story of James Cameron. And right now, I'm sitting here in the scenic backyard patio here of Bill Wisher, actually William Wisher Jr. Can I call you Bill? Uh, please do. And uh, I actually don't even use the junior anymore. My dad's William. I'm Bill. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, I actually, I have a question about your dad because I know he, for a short stint, was an actor. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to just introduce you. Bill was a classmate and great friend of James Cameron in those early years, 1970s and 80s, especially as James was just starting to to, you know, starting his climb as a filmmaker. And uh, Bill went on to become an incredibly successful writer. Um, He wrote on The Terminator as well, um, as we'll visit later in the series. And also he co-wrote Terminator 2, Judgment Day, with Jim. He's also the writer of films like Judge Dredd, 13th Warrior, uh, Exorcist, The Beginning, a whole slew of others. Yeah, I spent uh, several years in the 90s uh, as a kind of a script doctor. Mm -hmm. I I did uh, Die Hard three and then Die Hard four mm-hmm. and uh, Broken Arrow. And so um, I developed a reputation for being um, too dumb to be scared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so they'd fly me out and it's like, um, uh, hey, we're starting over. Can you write faster than first unit can expose footage? And I'm like, <laughs> why not? You know, and let's uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, most of those are uncredited, except uh, they, they made me a, an executive producer on Die Hard 4. So that's right. I saw that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, you're also the star of uh, James Cameron's short film, Xenogenesis. Our masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we have a lot to run through. You got your drink. You got your uh, cigarette. I think we're ready to rumble, right? <laughs> yeah, we're ready to go. <laughs> okay, so you met James between junior and senior year of high school. Do you remember when it was? Yeah. It, he is just enough older than me to have graduated his high school the year before up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then his, his dad was an engineer, and then they moved down to this little town called Brea, where I was living. Um, one of my friends... Uh, was Sharon Williams. Uh, I remember her one day, I don't know, a science class or something. She said, um, you, should, uh, you should meet my boyfriend because um, he's really into science fiction and movies and stuff like that. And you have to understand, it's a very small high school. Sure. So uh, I think I was 17 and he was just 18. So we weren't actually classmates, he had, he, but, but I was still in school. And um, uh, I'd already met, I know that you've spoken to Randy Frakes, and Randy and I had met like a year or so before. And so in the very early days, the three of us kind of kicked around Berea together, wanting to be, I wanted to be an actor back then. And, um, and uh, Jim was uh, painting, and he was writing, and Randy was writing. And um, within a few years of that, uh, that's how Xenogenesis came about. And before we get to that, do you remember your first meeting? I, you know, I honestly, I could make something up, but I honestly don't remember <laughs> uh, the first time we met. But um, then we were all as thick as thieves for the next, you know, four or five years. Well, I do understand you guys seem to both have, you seem to both be into science fiction. R- Randy and Jim were, were deeply into science fiction. I was, at the time... And, um, uh, uh, and, yeah, and I worked on a number of those, those kinds of things. But um, why did you get along so well with James in particular? I know a little bit of Randy, and we'll talk to him in a future interview as you're listening to this. But young James, what was it that you connected with him over? Well, the, one, of the, one of the things I, I can tell you for sure, he was very funny. Mm-hmm. He was really smart. And you could just tell that instantly. And and um, uh, he was one. Of, he's one of those guys that I knew when we were seventeen and eighteen. That if any one of the three of us was going to make it, it would be him. I mean, because he he had that kind of fiery drive um, as a teenager. Yeah, you know, and just really smart. And. Um, um, and, you know, in the early days, we were kind of, he sort of seduced me into writing in a way. James did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he'd be working on something. And I was, you know, 
I was, I was, I was more focused on theater and acting and stuff like that. And, um, so he, he, he'd be, uh, it might've been Xenogenesis. It might've been one of the things he was doing then. Mm -hmm. And would invite me over and he said, well, you're an actor. How would you, how, how would you say this line of dialogue or how would, how would, how would you change it to, you know? And I thought, you know, I'd give him suggestions and ideas and stuff like that. Um, what did you think of his dialogue writing? <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> um, what he's always, I think, been uh, singularly brilliant at mm -hmm. is um, uh, story and vision. Yeah. You know? And he would he would come up with these things uh, that that um, um, like nobody else would would have thought of. You know, like Terminator, for instance. Story type elements. You're saying story well, story and just, ideas. Just general vision. He's a good writer. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to give him a backhanded compliment. Right, right, right. He's right. a very good writer. Uh, but um, what's most impressive are, are the 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 universes that he kind of just thinks up, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how to kind of place characters within that universe and put them in, um, you know, uh, jeopardy and conflict and all that stuff. He's just, he's very, very good at that. From a storytelling perspective, you know, you wanted to be an actor early on. Randy played kind of a pivotal role in both pushing you and Jim both toward screenwriting, even though maybe you weren't that into it right at first, but I know that... The, the, the thing is, Randy's five or six years older than us. So at the time he was kind of like the one with more experience, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, that five, six years sort of had an impact on us. So we listened to him. Randy is great at figuring out, um, stories and plots. He's really good at that. And, um, and in fact, when, when, uh, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but w when we were doing uh, Terminator, uh, two, Mm -hmm. Um, we had, to, we had to write it very, very quickly and we brought Randy in for, I think two days as, as Jim and I were, um, kicking story around, you know, and, 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 um, you know, Randy would give his two cents or this or that or what have you. And then, um, and then Jim and I went off and wrote it side by side, but we'll come to that later. I, I actually, I have a, a question I want to ask you, which we'll do in our, our second conversation here. But I do want to kind of ask in those early years, how did you three become a trio? Well, because there were like 11 people that lived in Brea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the three of us were all interested in being in the entertainment business, you mm -hmm. know. And so um, when you live in a very, very small town, uh, you gravitate toward one another. Now, people who live elsewhere in the country or the world are going to say, what are you talking about? You're in Southern California. Isn't Hollywood there? Yeah, Hollywood was Explain about... Explain to us what Brea is like. <laughs> um, You'll hear just a little bit of sound yeah, of some... Yeah, a car coming We're in, in a backyard. This is the reality. Speaking of Hollywood, <laughs> this I, is the reality of living in uh, in this area now. Well, yeah, now I live, what, about five minutes from Hollywood proper. But Hollywood isn't Hollywood anymore. It's all over the place. Yeah, you know? right. But, um, no, Brea was uh, a very small town, and... Um, uh, our high school, the high school I went to, not Jim, he went up in Niagara Falls, but yep. the high school that, that Randy Frakes and I both went to. Brea Olinda? Brea Olinda High School. Uh, of course, they've torn it down uh, and built a, a new one, but it was uh, it was this old 1926 kind of thing. It had a farm attached to it, <laughs> okay? Um, it was very rural. Um, anyway, it, it still looked like it was 1952 there, is yeah. the point I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Hollywood was, uh, we all eventually moved up there. So, I mean, we all did gravitate toward, toward there. Mm -hmm. Brea is in Orange County, by the way. So, yep. um, it's not real close to Hollywood proper. I mean, we liked each other mm -hmm. and, and we weren't really like everybody else there. You know what I mean? How so? We all had a similar sensibility. We all love films. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go to movies, you know, together and then we'd sit around and discuss them. And so it was really this kind of shared interest and, and there weren't other people around. I mean, I had other friends, sure. but, there, but there weren't other people around that we could have those kinds of conversations with. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a for instance. Sure. Uh, you can only do this when you're really, really young. 
um, or even think that you can. <laughs> um, there was a Denny's, I believe, coffee shop. This is my next question, actually. Yeah, you, you would go to the movies with with uh, with James or with Randy or or with the both of them, and then go out to Denny's for a late night long conversation into the night. Yeah, and we would just drink, you know, gallons of coffee. And um, and and discuss you know the film we'd seen, and then that would lead us into other uh, you know films that that we'd also seen where there might be similar pardon me similarities or differences and that kind of thing. One night, I'm not sure Jim was there, but Randy and I stayed up literally all night in this coffee shop mm-hmm. trying to define in a definitive way what objective reality is. Now, you, you got to be 19 <laughs> years old to even think you can have that conversation. Sure, you sure. Know? And uh, so, I mean, we, just, we were kind of weird. We would just do stuff like that, you know. Other guys were riding horses. <laughs> I, <laughs> sure. I did learn to ride horses uh, there, by the way. friend of mine. Good. Um, so it wasn't for naught. Wasn't for naught. Love riding horses. It's still a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah, and sometimes we talk about stuff that we'd like to do. You know, that mm. hadn't been done yet. Yep. And, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it was just, it was, it was, um, uh, by the way, I want to kind of uh, take back what I said a few minutes. There were a lot of smart people in Sure. So, because I still have friends there. They're going to go, you <laughs> How jerk. dare you? How dare <laughs> you? Uh, but we were the three that, that, that really um, uh, were into a film. Do you recall the types of, ideas or discussions you might have with Jim? Well, I, you know, I remember um, they revived in, in, in terms of, of, of its release, uh, 2001, Space Odyssey. And we probably saw it five or six times. Mm-hmm. And um, what, you know, Jim, it's interesting. He's a wonderful filmmaker, of course, but he's always had a fascination with science, not just science fiction, but science. Sure. Particle physics. I mean, stuff like that. And, um, and, and how the universe works and how all of that kind of stuff works. And so we would have some conversations about that. His, his uh, uh, you know, my recollection at the time was that his, uh, uh, his first love seemed to be a blending of film and science. Really? And Yeah. And so, of course, you become primarily a science fiction film director if that's where most of your... Um... Sure. I know one of the big kind of push and pull in his early life is his family, his dad in particular, was saying, go do something in the sciences. You're good at that. <laughs> yeah, You're going to be good. I think everybody's dad has that conversation with him. Yeah. Mine had, my father had a, you know, a version of that. Didn't tell me to go into science, but, you know, nobody, nobody wants their, their children... To, to go into a field in which the odds are so against you. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you have to really, really, really be persistent and talented and you have to have some luck, you know. So I think everybody's parents worry about their, their child becoming, you know, a writer, an actor, a director, you know, or something like that. Right. 1977 or so, yes. Star Wars is this massive hit. That right. kind of comes out of nowhere for a lot of people. Randy and Jim have have essentially written Xenogenesis at this point. They start raising money to make it. Jim says, Bill, you're an actor. You can play the lead role. It was all hands on deck. Um, we, we, we got some money. I can't remember exactly how much. Uh, we didn't pay ourselves. All of it. it was, but we went to a consortium of uh, dentists mm-hmm. who had an investment guy. And, and the idea was we were going to make... Um, a section of that screenplay, and then we would use that as as a sales tool to raise the rest of the money to do the film. Now that didn't really ever come to fruition, but we made Xenogenesis, and so it was it was hilarious uh, um, because we had so little money, which often uh, really makes you much more inventive. Um, <laughs> so I was making sets. Uh, somebody's mom made the costumes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Jim was shooting it, and Randy was re- uh, uh, record. Oh, Bob Garrett was involved with that too, friend of ours, who I believe now is a music producer and a mm-hmm. composer. And my memory is that that uh, 
Jim shot like 90% of it, but was sort of co-directing it with Randy. They right. kind of did that together. It's, I, I, uh, was, I was the meat puppet, you know? <laughs> right. So. How big of a crew was this? Four of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was doing everything. You know, yeah. Jim built the models. Uh, and um, um, uh, Randy and I were making sets. And mm-hmm. just everybody did everything. Tell me about what it was. Um, and there's a little bit of chatter in the background, so I hope our listeners will forgive us. Uh, this is Los Angeles again. It is. You guys essentially are your own crew, your own everything. Yeah. Putting this all together for, a, you know, a period of a couple months as you're you're shooting these things. Right. You're essentially the first person to ever share a uh, sound stage, which is maybe giving it more than what it actually was. It's just an industrial site of It was some an sort. industrial, uh, yeah, with a <laughs> roll-up door. But walking into set with, uh, on, on, on essentially a James Cameron production. Oh, he was on top of everything. Although, you know, um, I don't think we all, any of us thought of it as a James Cameron production. Right. Looking back in time, it's like, I don't even think I'd thought about this until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I was probably the first guy on a Jim Cameron directed set. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and I have the scars to prove it, <laughs> which I'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Not that Jim was abusive in any way. That's not what I'm talking about, but, uh, I got banged up pretty good, uh, making that thing. Yep. And, um, can I, can I tell you that? Of course, that please, story? please. So one of the things that was supposed to happen is, like I said, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the, 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 the you're the, the star. Yeah. If you want to call it that, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the guy who's, uh, uh, exploring all of this stuff and talking on a, on a, on a head mic. So at any rate, there was this, uh, uh, one, one shot where it's a tabletop and it's about six feet off the floor. And, um, it's supposed to be the side of this very long causeway. And I'm supposed to get, uh, a shot, uh, with like a ray gun thing, Mm -hmm. uh, in my left, uh, leg. So we built squibs. And then later you go back and we physically wrote us. Explain really quickly what a squib is. For oh, those- a, a squib is, is um, an electronically fired device. And you basically tape it underneath your, your costume and it has a charge in it. And when it's electronically detonated, the charge goes boom, you know, and, and it looks like you've been shot. Or it, yeah, it looks like a, a small explosion. A spark or something, yeah. Now, now, we used it as a spark because it was supposed to be like a ray gun, and we figured, okay, we're not going to do a blood squib. Anybody who's seen a Sam Peckinpah movie knows what a blood squib is. Right. Know? Big splatter. Big blood splatter. Well, we didn't do that. It was supposed to be more like I'm just getting fried through and through. So we had one on the front of my, you know, just, just above my knee, and, and one right on the back side. Mm-hmm. And then the idea was, and we did do this later... We physically, um, I think on a, a chem editing table, um, rotoscoped, literally drew on every frame a red laser beam coming in. Ah, so the old school way of doing very it. Very old school. So, <laughs> so Jim and I both made these um, squibs together because I was going to be wearing it. Yep. You know, and we test fired them and we test fired them and they seemed to be okay. So he had backed up. I'm sensing that maybe something doesn't go quite as planned. It didn't go quite as well as planned. Uh, So Jim is, I don't know, he's 75 yards away on a long lens. I'm supposed to uh, turn around, the squibs go off, and I drop to one knee, and I roll over the side of the six-foot table, and I hang on to it, which would then match with another editing shot coming later where I'm crawling along. And we did that on the top side of the building, which was really fun. A little dangerous, maybe? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> this thing went off, and I suddenly didn't have a leg anymore. I mean, it just collapsed. And I tried to, you know, kind of control it, um, and I fell off the table. Uh, and, you know, I was hooked up to, like, 110 uh, wiring, you know. There happened to be a puddle of water. This oh, is no. the electrocution thing you were talking about. <laughs> So Randy fired the squibs. He's off in the corner. He's not really looking at me. I don't know why. And I hear Jim across the parking lot. His, his initial reaction was like, you know, you didn't do it right, you know, kind of a thing. And because I screwed the shot up. And, uh, and so he, he, you know, I, I think he was on a 
ladder with a camera or something like that. He comes down and and, he, and he's like kind of upset, you know, with me. Don't go off doing your own thing, Bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and he comes walking in and then he gets close and then Randy didn't turn the electricity off. Uh. So I am now, you know, screwed up my ankle, screwed up my knee because I fell six feet to a floor and I'm being electrocuted. And so the minute Jim gets close enough to realize what's happened because he had no idea it was that far away he's like randy turn off turn it off turn it off you know wow it was actually kind of a funny moment he's like are you okay it's funny now that you (laughs) survived (laughs) yeah uh, it was but i mean it was just one of those you know it just happened it wasn't his fault wasn't anybody's fault you know and i tested these damn things myself before i taped them to me you know do you remember what the issue was yeah, with too much explosive. <laughs> <laughs> I see. We made them, and that's why I was like, it's like the Butch Cassidy thing. You yep. know? Yeah, we used a little too much dynamite. And um, I was fine, you know, ended up, I got banged up pretty How good, long but, was your, your recovery? Uh, you know, I ripped a tendon off my ankle, which I didn't discover for about 14, 15 years. Wow, okay. It still aches on a cold day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can walk just fine. It's all It's all good. You know, in those days, it was just kind of like tape it and walk it off. Right. And we were, I was 23, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I didn't think that much. You know, I was probably down a couple of days and I said, no, nah, I'm good enough. Let's go back to work. No, I really want to stress that it, it was not his fault in, right. in any way. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just funny because I'm laying there kind of, you know, and the first thing I hear is him yelling at me because I screwed the shot up. Of course, he has no idea what happened. Right. And the minute he figured out what happened, he's like, uh, so he just wanted to make sure I was fine. He was very, very concerned that I'd been injured. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm like, no, I think I'm good. You know, <laughs> the entire experience was, was a lot of fun. And even looking back on that little accident, it was, it, it was still fun. It was kind of hilarious to me. Did you expect Xenogenesis to be James and Randy's ticket to the big time? You mentioned there it wasn't maybe that disheartening when things didn't come directly from that. But Well, uh, exactly so. And, and, and the thing is, it was not a, a waste. I mean, maybe to the guys who invested in it, they looked at it that way because they didn't really get their money back. But, yep. but um, you never know how things are going to turn out. And I'm pretty sure that Jim was able to use that um, uh, uh, short film uh, to get into uh, Roger Corman's world. Yes. So it was a it was a huge success for him. <laughs> you know, it was a crowbar uh, that he could use to to get his him in, himself into uh, into Hollywood. And then Randy shortly after that too for Randy some, as well. some other effects. Yeah. Coming up, I want to ask you a little about your background. You grew up in and around LA, and your dad was a bit of an actor himself for a short while. How that influenced your wanting to work in film. So we'll be right back with Bill Wisher. And we're back now with Bill Wisher. Just a minute ago, we teased that uh, your father was an actor for a bit. Tell me about how that came about and also what he thought of you kind of wanting to follow in those footsteps. Yeah, when I was when I was very young, I'm, I'm the oldest of uh, five brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. two brothers, two sisters, and then I'm, I'm, I was the oldest one. Yeah, my dad came back from the Korean War, met my mom, got married, wanted to be an actor, and did, uh, a, a, you know, theater in and around L.A., and apparently he was quite good. And he was offered a contract at Warner Brothers, the kind that they gave out. This is in the late 50s. You know? Okay. And, uh, um, uh, but they wanted him to go to, uh, uh, to New York to study with, I think, uh, Stella Adler. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was—he found himself at a crossroads, and he, family and, on one side, career on, on the, other. the other. And and he decided, in his mind, and we talked about this years later, that if he'd gone to New York, he probably would have done well, and he probably would have been divorced. Mm. And um, he said he loved his family more than acting. It wasn't, you know. And um, he actually ended up doing quite well. He, uh, he became a marketing director for uh, a German multinational that's in the, the, the dental supply business. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I grew up with all of these uh, plays laying around the house, you know. And I, yeah, that probably had, a, you know, a fair amount of influence on me. But I started uh, wanting to be an actor when I was in high school. 
It's, it's actually quite funny because my dad traveled all over the world. Jim would uh, half teasing and maybe half not. You know, <laughs> I don't believe your dad works for this company. And what do you mean? Your dad's a spook, man. <laughs> I mean, why is he? Why is he going to all these places all over the world? You know, and um, but Jim used to tease me incessantly about my dad being a CIA <laughs> operative. Again, to our listeners, we are outside in uh, on a back patio here, which is. Lovely, except is, it is. A plane is flying overhead. It is L.A., so there's some noise I over hope this, here, uh, some noise over there, some noise above. So we just got to get in on the microphones here. Okay. But, um, but, oh, that's quite, we have a... That, yeah, that's... Um, that might be uh, LAPD. You know, it's usually very quiet back here. <laughs> <laughs> you only notice when you're recording, and then yeah. uh, the leaf blowers come out, and uh, uh, That'll be Thursday. That. That's why okay. we're not doing this on <laughs> Thursday. I know you all had paperback book collections, um, oh, yeah. A lot of them science fiction books. Tell me about what you and Randy and Jim all, all liked about that genre. Uh, Jim and Randy were really the ones who who were diehard science fiction guys more than me. I, I kind of, you know, went into that with them. Um, you told me a story about meeting a legend of science fiction, Philip K. Dick. Uh, oh, yeah. In the 1970s, the famous science fiction writer who wrote uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Which became Blade Runner. Which became Blade Runner. Yeah, just a, a, a few years later, probably, from when this happened. And it was a story. He also has stories that inspired a bunch of other movies that have come to be big hits. Total Recall, Minority Report, The Man in the High Castle, which is series now. Um, so he's considered one of these, these you know, greatest science fiction authors of all time. Tell me how you met him. Well, um, I was either married to my first wife, Diana, or we were dating. Mm -hmm. And she worked in a shop uh, with a fella who knew him. Mm -hmm. Diana's friend said, how would you like to meet Philip K. Dick? And I'm like, um, you know, he's a science, he's a science fiction writer. And he, he hadn't, he was, he was known, but he didn't really become the superstar, you know, uh, guy until uh, Blade Runner came out. Sure. So we had dinner with him one night and his wife. I think we had spaghetti. And he lived in Fullerton, California. And he was very excited that this book he had written, Androids, Do Androids, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, was going to be made into a film. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and... I was really happy for the guy, yeah, you know, and because he had written for decades and he had some success. Don't get me wrong, but he just wasn't, he wasn't a household name. Sure. Um, science fiction writers uh, admired and adored him, you know, and, and it was just, it was a fascinating night. Uh, and, and we talked a little bit about um, what became Blade Runner, androids, uh, and that uh, he was a World War II vet. Yep, and the the he just sort of got the idea from um, some of the experiences he'd had with uh, people that he thought were uh, dehumanized. Sure, and and um, and the book is a bit different in 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 that um, the uh, uh, the androids uh, they just kind of give up when you corner them, mm -hmm. and and of course they change that for the film. And, uh, but, but it is essentially the same story and it's, you know, covers the same. So it was just, anyway, it was really, really cool. The only time I ever met him, uh, you know, it's not like we became friends or anything like that. And he passed away before the film came out. Uh, so I was always very, very pleased that he knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And that his life was going to change. And, and, uh, and it, and it certainly did for his wife. Yeah. You know, and, um, and he was a really cool guy. And, uh, so I, I was, uh, I, I felt honored to have, you know, spent a couple hours with him. Yeah. You know, he was about to have tremendous influence his, and his, his writing still was, to this day has just continued to be. Oh, absolutely. More. And he, he realized he was fully aware that his life was about to change, uh, dramatically and he never lived long enough to see it happen, but he knew it was coming. And so I, I, I just, I felt very I mean, I feel today very pleased, you know, that he he got to to know that, you know. When we first spoke, you mentioned James had this spark about him. Yep. And uh, you knew he was going to do well 
whatever he ended up doing. Um, when we come back in just a moment, I'll ask you about that. We'll be right back here with Bill Wisher. And welcome back to this special bonus interview with Bill Wisher, screenwriter and star of a little film called Xena Genesis. <laughs> uh, in just a few minutes, I want to watch it through with you. But um, first, you mentioned when you first met Jim, you saw a spark in him. And where was that spark when he's driving a truck for a school district and, and a college dropout? <laughs> he had Leonardo da Vinci eyes. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of or a drawing of da Vinci, mm-hmm. and by that I mean they were fiery, uh, determined, um, uh, just um, very intelligent, and uh, he was just driven from the m- moment I met him. I, 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 like I said earlier in this, I knew that if any of us were going to be successful, it would be him. Uh, fortunately, the, the things worked out pretty well for me too. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, no, he just had that light about him, you know, that you just knew um, he was going to make it. And um, I'm, I, you know, I never rode around in that step van with him uh, when he was working for the school. The truck, right. The truck. But uh, so I don't know what he was doing in there, but I'm, I'm sure he was thinking, you know, and... Um, writing a lot, the little legal pads, the yeah, yellow, yellow legal he pads. He loved yellow legal pads um, and uh, stacks and stacks of them. And, and sketches. He's a very good artist. Uh, I, I think probably most people know that by now. But um, uh, he could have been an artist instead of a filmmaker, I think. Uh, and, um, so, you know, he had a lot of, he had a lot of, uh, skill sets. With Xenogenesis, James ends up showing this film to someone at Roger Corman's New World Pictures. He's hired on the spot as, as was typical for a lot of Roger Corman type things. Hey, we need help now. Uh, you seem to check out. All right, you're hired. What did you think of him getting a job there? And when did you find out he'd, uh, he'd gotten hired? That must've been a big moment for him. Yeah, it was. I don't remember exactly how I found out, but um, I, I found out shortly thereafter. And, and I believe that he was initially hired um, uh, as a, a, a set builder or something like that. Right, right. You know, I made a trip there. I, it may have only been one time, but it was like, hey, man, why don't you come out and see what we're doing? And um, so I said, oh, I'd love to. So anyway, I, I went out and um, it was a lot like hundred guys running around, you know, uh, building sets, painting things. Um, I, he had, one of the things that he had designed, I believe was the big spaceship. Yeah. That's the uh, start of the film. And, um, and he was quite proud of that. And it was, it was huge. It was larger than I expected it. This to be. is battle beyond the stars. Yeah. Yep. And, and, uh, I remember he showed me that and I, I, uh, uh, years later, I think I met Roger Corman, but I, I didn't meet him that day. And how did that lumberyard compare with the little industrial site that you rented out for Xenogenesis? It was bigger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were more people there. There were only the four of us on Xenogenesis. Um, there was just a lot of activity, as I recall. Yeah. And, and, um, and it was just like... Uh, and this whole operation made in order to create something. Yeah. It was like, you know, this is where magic happens. It was, it was, it was like, it was thrilling. This is the big time. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's a, there's a romance about filmmaking that I have never, you know, lost my, my affinity for. It's just, it's, there's nothing else I'd rather do. There's what appears at first to be kind of controlled chaos and it is a little bit controlled chaos. It can be chaotic. And, it's, and, you know, and I'd never been on a film set before. So it was like, it was, it was really, really cool. Um, you know, years later, I, I went to uh, Paramount for some meeting with somebody. It doesn't matter. Well, once you're on the lot, you're on the lot. So I finished the meeting and I, I just walked that entire place yeah. where, you know, movies had been made since the 1920s, you know. And... Um, uh, and there are set shops. There's guys hammering away. There's sound stages with, you know, the little red light goes on. Don't open the door. You know, right. you can't come in. Recording. Blah, blah, blah. Recording, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. And it was just like, it was, you know, it, it, all film studios, even Corman's, um, have the same sort of sensibility about them. 
of, of uh, you know, we're making a movie. Wow. You know? Yeah. And um, I've, I've just never gotten over that. It is a pretty... I don't pretty... think I ever will. No, and I don't think you have to because it's a, no, it's a magical thing that, that, <laughs> yes. uh, that you can actually have people make a living and be part of something yeah, like that. Yeah, I remember we would have conversations early in the early days. I can't believe they're paying us to do this. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's like, because you'd probably do it for free. Yeah. You know? And, and most people do for a number yeah, of years. For, for right? a while you do do it for free. But then eventually, um, you know, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I just love filmmaking. Coming up after this, we're going to watch that 12-minute short film that uh, changed the future for James Cameron. With its main star, we're going to sit down. Bill Wisher, the star of Xenogenesis. If you want to watch along on uh, on YouTube, we'll tell you where to press play. Uh, <laughs> coming up right after this. And we're back with Bill Wisher, screenwriter and uh, lead actor in Randy Frakes, James Cameron's first film, Xenogenesis. And we have it queued up here for you to watch and keep in mind our uh, listeners won't be able to see the picture uh, bill so we'll be as descriptive as possible in watching this and then chat a few more minutes about it at the end but we're going to count it down now and if you're uh, following this or opening it up on youtube or wherever you can find it online it's in a few places now yeah um you can uh press play in three two one play and, and you realize you're inviting me uh to participate in a lot of self-embarrassment here. <laughs> I know. Thanks for being a good sport in advance. <laughs> Xenogenesis, there's the title. Yeah. So this looks like the kind of thing that there's... Jim would have been very proud of, this font. Yeah, yeah. What were the... I don't know, I don't know what that font is called, but it was very um, sort of computer... Bernard Herman, how do you get him? Um, I think we stole that. <laughs> I forget the movie the music is from, but yeah, it is from something oh, else. Oh, yeah, Dave Hudson, that's right. He was involved. He was one of our sound guys. And uh, Georgia, I dated her briefly. Okay. Um, get that microphone right up, uh, direct, pointed at your mouth if you can. Okay. R.L.A. Frakes and James Cameron. Randall Lloyd Anthony Frakes. There you go. <laughs> I think he dropped the RLA, but it's very science fiction author of him. Yeah, indeed. All right, so opening shot here. Yeah, so um, that's a painting that Jim did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it, that's probably supposed to represent me, although I don't think he actually used me in the painting. And this is another pan across a painting that Jim did. Uh, all science, uh, space science fiction stuff, and um, beautiful paintings. Yeah, and now, now, and look at that mechanical arm. Does that remind you of anything? Sure does. Yeah. So he was already thinking uh, down the road when he was doing this. Now the idea of this film is you have a a synthetic man, which is who you played, and then a human female. Correct. Um, was I synthetic? I don't remember if I was. I might have been. And there's a, a, a blue... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a... I think, is she blue? She is blue. She's actually bluer in real life than, than it appears on the screen. Okay. So he was, you know, he was already kind of thinking of... Um, you know how ideas just, they get planted in your brain. That's an avatar image. Yep, yep. You know, and going all the way back to 1977 or 8. Absolutely. And there I am. There you are. What a wonderful haircut. Your futuristic space clothes, the yellow uh, yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah, it was a yellow jumpsuit. Um, it was actually orangier than, than it looks on, on that. But mm -hmm. Oh, and I guess I have a backpack on. That's right. Forgot about that. Oh, and now, now all of that that you're looking at, this causeway, uh, those are all um, uh, uh, black cardboard uh, where uh, for, we, we, we did forced perspective um, uh -huh. carvings, and, and we put lights behind it, light panels behind it. Oh, okay. So... And now I'm running, and here it comes. Doors are opening. It's okay, I'm talking through this, right? Yes, yeah, this is perfect. Okay. We see um, a reflection or so. Oh, and, there it is. And this, this uh, tank thing with one uh, arm on it that has a kind of a, a laser mm -hmm. blasting thing, um, we, we call that the sweeper. And the idea is it, it's just a maintenance vehicle. You know, it, it's not 
super AI or anything. This story is taking place where? On on this some, space station? Some space station that we find, that I find along with the, the girl, and we're going to explore it. And I, I see this thing come out, and I'm saying something. I can't really hear it. Yeah. And, um, and so, so what this is is basically a giant... Um, uh, uh, um, just a maintenance vehicle. It keeps the place clean. Yep. And there were no uh, life forms on it, so it's all automated. I guess it has two arms. And um, it's picking up some garbage. So that's this is stop motion now as this we're looking at this. This is all stop motion animation. The arms and, moving, turning. Right. And Jim built this thing uh, pretty much from scratch. Uh, I think a lot of it was... Um, made with, uh, well, there were certainly some model parts, you know, like from model kits, Mm -hmm. but most of it was uh, fiberglass that he just um, made. Oh, okay, yeah. And shaped himself. And then all of this is stuff. Now, this is the split diopter stuff I was talking about. You can just see me in the corner back there. Yeah, you're very small in the frame. Right, and if you'll notice, I never cross in front of this thing because we couldn't do that. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's basically just doing its thing. And, now, the um, background, we're looking at all these lights and everything. Is, is that a backdrop of some sort? Is that forced perspective? That's not actually part of the industrial space that you rented out, was it? Oh, yeah. I didn't, no, we built that inside You built it all it. the way back? Yeah, but it's much smaller than it, than it looks. Mm. Um, and then this is just... Um, um, I'm supposed to be walking down a causeway, you know, that basically drops to infinity, you know, so far uh-huh. down that you don't really see the bottom. Now I'm walking around this thing. Now, this is on top of the building, I believe. Uh, no, it's on a causeway. Oh, okay. Um, just like basically a, a giant empty freeway, so to speak. Okay. And there's, you know, uh, somewhere in here there'll be a shot that shows you that there's like, you know, 11 million levels to this to yep. this place. Now it sees me. Uh-oh. And it's there's like, oh, light. you're garbage. I need to clean you up. And so I'm like, ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> There's an Academy Award performance right yeah. there. And uh, so I'm trying. Now I'm running away from it. So it's like, oh, not, it's coming after not you. so fast. Garbage, you know. So the one arm of this on this tank is what? Just this this kind of... Yeah, it has a kind of a big flat uh, thing that I guess is, you know, like, like a laser thing that makes stuff go away. Now it's shooting at me. Ah, here's the lasers. And here's, and here's where... As we were speaking earlier, see how did we cover this? Okay, that's there. You go, and I go zap. Now that was a few days later. This the the matching shot. That cut there, yeah, yeah. As you're hanging off the edge. So as I start to go over, and he cuts away, I actually fell off the damn thing (laughs) (laughs) onto the floor, and then um, I am actually laying on a floor with you know kind of lifting my leg up to make it look like I'm hanging vertically mm-hmm. but this is but actually you're laying flat right I'm, there I'm laying flat on that table I fell off of and so now it's like where did you go I can't quite find you and then it moves away you know considering that we had no money and no experience this is actually not bad right it's pretty good you know I, I only wish the quality was a little better. I wonder where the original film is. Maybe Jim has it in a vault someplace. He, he might. I was actually... Oh, now the thing is smashing through something. And I'm just kind of hiding from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I I was... Uh, oh, 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 here comes... Uh, what's her name? The girl. And we're about to see her. She's smashing through. Oh, and... and um, um, aliens. Now, she's going to come out in this... Basically, uh, you'll see it in a second. Here. Oh, like the loader. Like the loader in Aliens. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, right? But it's conceptually. But she's in the kind of the, the yeah the the cabin or the cockpit of this vehicle that's robotic. She's controlling with her arms, right? And that's a set we built. Okay, and that's actually her in the set, right? Yep. But then when you see her in the um, uh, uh, in a wider shot. Like like this, where where you can look and you see her inside the cockpit. Uh-huh. That's actually rear screen projection. Oh, interesting. And we did that frame by frame, you know. Yeah, you have to. Because it's all stop motion, so 
But uh, yeah, we put a little screen there. That's pretty advanced, though, blending the stop motion with with uh, the rear projection in order to make well, but, it look like she's inside. Right. But then we, we, that had to be advanced frame by frame as well to match yeah. the, the stop motion. Of that the makes sense. Thing. And Jim built this thing, too. He, he made all the models, best of my memory, because that's kind of what he sure. did. And, um, and here we go. There she's controlling it with her arms. Yeah. And it looks like a kind of a spider with a cab on top. It's so now, explain what this scene, this is the showdown here. Right, she's going to be fighting this thing. She's in this loader-looking thing, about right. to fight this and tank-like vacuum cleaner. Right, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so here we have, you know, basically They're a... They're fighting uh, now. Yeah, you know, two, two machines fighting each other. And um, uh, it doesn't look like she's winning. <laughs> no, it looks oh, like she's now being she's thrown around back. quite a bit. Okay. And, um, Some flashing lights. Yeah. But Laser I mean, you can, you can see in here, actually, um, the, the, uh, uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? You can see the origins of sure. some of the imagery from, from Terminator. Yeah. Uh, one, that kind of and, seed of the idea. Right. And also, uh, Aliens, mm-hmm. you know, with Sigourney. And, um, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff. So, all of this was um, being noodled around in Jim's head, you, can, you know, and, 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 and this, this film is, um, is, is showing you the very, very first seeds of those concepts that he... Uh, oh, we just saw some big explosions in yeah, this. Yeah, she smashed his um, vacuum cleaner ray gun thingy. Oh, look at that. The depth in that shot. Yeah. One of the, it's her, her loader, one of the legs of that collapses, slides toward the camera. Right. And she's, it's going to try and push her off the causeway. Okay. Ah, I see. Well, you just see the edge she's, of it there at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, she's being cornered here. Yeah. And she's sliding. It's pushing her. She's sliding. And, um. Not looking yeah. good. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not. It, and she's struggling, and that's an inside-the-cockpit shot of her kind of trying to do her stuff. That's a forced perspective thing. Um, An overhead shot here of her starting to slide off the edge. Right. And um, I'm trying to pull myself back up onto the causeway. There you go. It's about time. Yeah, I was just hanging out. Where you been? (laughs) I was just hanging out for a while. And um, so it's pushing her off, and she's trying to kick it to push it back. Yep. And they're struggling. There's another forced perspective shot. More struggling. And now she's trying to push it off the other side of the causeway. And I'm underneath the darn thing. You're about to get uh, squished here. Yeah, this is not a good place for me to be. No. And um, back back to the side. Yeah, I dropped back down. I tried to climb up, and then I dropped back down because the thing's coming over my head. You know, like in a World War II movie with the tanks rolling over the top of you. Mm-hmm. And I think we left it as a cliffhanger. Yep. <laughs> what happens? We're never going to know. I, I was <laughs> I was waiting for that moment of uh, of of heroic you know triumph at the end when you you pop up and uh, blast him and yeah, all I of wanted, that stuff. I, I just wanted to punch it. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, that would work. So in hindsight, that is uh, not not a bad proof of concept at all. No, for, it's, it's really not. And, and especially in, if you think of those, you know, the Roger Corman days, this is p- almost pure Roger Corman. It's no wonder they saw this and s- said, you're hired. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's proof of concept for like three or four different movies that, that he eventually made. Yep. You know, so, um, um, yeah, I was quite surprised. Uh, maybe it was 10 years ago or so. Uh, somebody told me, hey, you know, because I hadn't seen it since, you know, we made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, it's online. You know, someone has a pirated copy on, yeah, online. Yeah, I have no idea where it came from. It's in a few places now. Yeah, and I don't I don't either. Uh, but all of them look like that one does. Right, very low resolution. Low very... res, kind of crappy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, which is kind of too bad. But it would really be cool... Uh, hey Jim, if you ever listen to this, why don't you dig it out, digitize it, and you know, yeah, remaster, remaster it, man. <laughs> well, that is uh, that is Xenogenesis. Thanks for going through it, revisiting some of that stuff. I'm glad you survived the uh, electric shock of uh, of the oh, big yeah. the big scene, the big action moment. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
one. And ended up being in a couple other Jim Cameron films. He, he would stick me, I think, as a... Yeah, even when I was like, Jim, I really don't want to act anymore. He said, no, you're going to come. You're going to do I this. I want to come back to it. We're going to have another conversation. Um, and uh, and I will ask you about that in particular because that is, I believe, how you first got your SAG card, which is something every actor needs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we'll come back to that in our other conversation. A couple final thoughts with Bill Wisher right after this. And we're back with just a couple uh, final thoughts here from Bill Wisher, who's been so kind sharing his stories and insight with us here in his uh, his backyard as we have a little bit of noise, but not too bad. A couple, couple of planes flying overhead. A couple of planes, a couple you Fortunately, know, we don't have like an forth. active shooter incident with right. helicopters flying overhead. Then you got CHP, yeah, LAPD, it's, it's, it's all the ruins, news stations. Ruins the whole thing. Yeah. We'd have to go inside and watch the pursuit, though. It, yeah, well, we would. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what happens. That's what we do here. <laughs> um what do you remember most fondly about those days of making Xenogenesis, the, the film that led to uh, James getting his job with Roger Corman's studio? One of my fondest memories is never being tired because I was uh, in my 20s and we <laughs> all were, you know. And um, uh, no, I, I think uh, I felt at the time it was, it was like kind of audacious and cool that we, ju- that we just got some funding and we're just going to make um, a sequence out of, out of the screenplay that Jim and, and Randy had written. And, um, uh, and it was really, now I'd done, I'd done theater work before that. Mm-hmm. I'd never done anything uh, with a camera. And, um, but I mean, that, that wasn't really the important part. It was, it was really more the camaraderie of, as I said earlier, all hands on deck. Everybody was doing everything, you know, and, uh, today we need to do this and today we need to do that. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time, um, uh, building the sets and, and, and Jim spent uh, a bunch of time building the models, you know, and then trying to figure out how we were going to do all of this. And, and he went back because we had no money really. Um, he, he went back and, and, a lot of the effects are, you know, like 1920s, 30s, King Kong type, you know, sure. uh, 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 stuff. Yep. And um, going into each single frame. Yeah. Stop motion animation. Yep. Uh, split diopter screens, um, you, you know, which is like a Shefton shot. It's the same kind of idea. And um, um, so it was really. Um, oh, and all the laser beams you see are hand drawn. You know, on the frame. That's a marker or something. Uh, yeah, you you basically or a, you're scratching I don't know if away. We had a chem table, but we had anyway. We had an editing thing. You just go frame by frame, and and you and and I did some of that uh, myself. Um, as I said, we all took turns, and um, and you you yeah, you just kind of scratch it in to the thing. Yep. And um, you only need it for a frame or two. Yeah, a couple of frames. I mean, it's not you know, but you do have to make sure that. It's in the same place, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you you are you are paying very close attention, right? And and you realize that you're doing this to the negative, you, you know. So uh, you mess this up, and you mess this you're up, screwed. And, and yeah, you get thrown out the window. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bill Wisher, we'll be back to talk about some of uh, the Terminator and what happens later in this series. But for now, Bill, thank you for having this conversation with pleasure. us. It was a treat, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk soon. Take care. 